This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Molen Springs Water. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 58. In this episode, we welcome Mike Cousins. Mike does play-by-play on ESPN TV and radio for several different sports. Thank you for listening. Please pass it on if you dig it. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Email us at This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is Making Me Thirsty, episode 58, Mike Cousins. Enjoy. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 58. Tonight's guest earned a journalism degree from this from Syracuse University, joining a long line of successful broadcasting alum, including Bob Casas, Marv Albert, Ian Eagle, Len Berman, and Sean McDonough. He has called play-by-play on ESPN TV networks for college football, college basketball, college baseball, college softball, college wrestling, and he's also done MLB and NFL on ESPN radio. We found him after he gave an on-air Seinfeld reference during the NCAA National Championships for Wrestling this year on ESPN, and so we knew he was a huge fan. We've seen other of his uh, his references on air, and whenever we hear on-air references of Seinfeld, we have to talk to the person. So uh, please welcome Mike Cousins. Mike, thanks for joining, man. Hey, it's my pleasure, and uh, I'm glad to know that in the midst of the NCAA basketball tournament that not only were people watching wrestling, but that there were Seinfeld fans too there. So that, that message from you guys really caught me off guard. <laughs> I watch, I watch it every year. I wrestled, uh, I wrestled all through until, until I graduated high school. I didn't want to wrestle in college. You have to be crazy to wrestle in college. It's insane. So it's a, I, uh, it's a I out. dedication to do it in college because people yeah, don't you need a, it's a separate kind of switch in your head, man, to do it in college. I think. And for the amount of garbage that I put into my body in college to not be able to do that as a wrestler, (laughs) but you have to keep a really tight weight class. There's just there. You got, you're right. You do have to be wired differently. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's dig in Mike. So you, were you, you, you're born in what? I'm going to say 1988 around there. 89, 89. All right. So Seinfeld ended, ended in 98. So you would have been nine. So I don't think you watched any of the broadcasts live. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, into Seinfeld. I know before we chatted, you mentioned your mother, but uh, maybe just touch on how, um, how you came about watching the show, and then we'll dig a little bit into the some of the references that you love and bring up with sports. So it's a, it's a bit of a parallel for me as to how I got into Seinfeld and how I got into the job that I'm doing now, because we grew up as one of the rare houses, at least among my friends, that did not have cable TV. So the, the real entertainment for me, like after everyone had scrambled from the dinner table and you went to our respective corners of our houses was after I finished my homework, I would just put on the radio and I would listen to Mets games. So WFAN 66, you know, anybody who grew up in, well, it's, you know, I don't even have to say the tri-state area. It, it reaches out where I live now if you get a good clear night. Um, but sports talk radio, that was my big source of entertainment. Um, And so since we didn't have cable TV, if you grew up around the New York area, the channels you got on the antenna on the top of your house were two, four, five, seven, nine, 11, 13. And I believe there was a Spanish language station, channel 41. 
Um, admittedly, with that not being my native tongue, didn't get there as often. But what we would put on uh, at dinner time at the dinner table was Box Five, which had the Seinfeld reruns on it. And so yep. my house was always so busy. I was just raised, uh, you know, in a single parent house with my mom. So she was either running to pick somebody up from practice or was making food and then was going out to do something else. So the TV was just always on in the kitchen. And seemingly we would eat dinner around the same time, which I think it was on at that time at 730 uh, on Channel 5. And so it just became somewhat of a, of a background daily soundtrack to my life. Yeah, I think it was 7 and 730 back to back. And then it was 11, 1130 back to back on PIX um, during that time. Um, so 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 you mentioned the fan in there, too. We were, we we're big fans of the fan. Also, we had we had a bunch of a uh, bunch of them on. So far, we had Al Dukes and. Salicata and uh, Crystal Presti, and our, we had we had the honor of talking to Steve Summers too, which really, uh, oh, yeah, we uh, <laughs> that was like a highlight of our entire. <laughs> it was incredible. We got to talk to him all about you know his friendship with Seinfeld and, and everything like that. But uh, it's great to hear you were a WFAN guy. Um, so yeah, so let's let's get through a little bit into the so so I was watching it from you know starting just with reruns. We had this conversation a lot with those. Um, who got in it that way. I mean, we were watching it live, you know, as it happened pretty much. But um, the people that watched it uh, from reruns tend to, um, you know, their fandom kind of jumps around a little bit because they're not watching it sequentially, right? So they might grab grab onto certain things at different points. But uh, curious, you know, um, what, what what's your take on, on seasons as far as like where you, what, what seasons are you higher with? Like, which would you, do you prefer or do you prefer, you know, the earlier seasons, more of, you know, slice of life stuff or the uh, post Larry David uh, where it gets a little bit more absurd comedy. What, what is your take on the, on that, that whole thing? The appeal on the show for me has always been just that when there's something weird that happens in your life or something funny or something that's interpersonal that you want to share with somebody else. I feel like that's where this show has the most relation for me where, you know, when, when I watched it the first go around, I'm not old enough to pick up on all the jokes or to have been in the life situations that are occurring on the show of like, you know, whether it's Elaine dating somebody or Jerry, dating, like I'm 12 years old, you know, I'm not, <laughs> that's not a problem right, I've come right. across in my life yet at that point. Um, but, you know, then you get to watch it when you're older and the references just fly all around my house between my mom and her sister and my siblings in that, you know, at, at every holiday gathering, we know we're going to hear probably four or five Seinfeld references. So that's where it comes in for me is is just all of the interpersonal drama and hilarity between the characters that not necessarily, you know, it wasn't something that I said season by season or I have a favorite here or a favorite there. That's for most shows. It's not like I don't think about it that way, um, but it's just the moments and, and the characters that make it for me. And yeah, I think and the beauty of the show is the connection to sports. I mean, I've heard Ian Eagle, another, you know, Syracuse alum, he, he, he used a bunch of sidebar references as well. Do you, do you kind of have them in your back pocket, like for certain situations? I'm just curious as a play-by-play -play guy, like when you're watching Seinfeld, right? And some of these, you know, uh, great sayings come up. Like, you're like, hmm, maybe I'll use that if uh, there's a buzzer beater. Yeah, I don't know, I'm making it up. But like, when do, you, when do you use these things in like, um, or does it just come like spur of the moment? Like during the wrestling, for instance, was that planned or did you kind of just spur no, of the moment? Not at all. I, you know, what's funny is that, you know, 
we're, I'm on the air for the, if anybody's not familiar with NCAA wrestling, we're on for a few nights in a row mm-hmm. and, you know, two to three hours uh, during a session. So that's a lot of talking, you know, during the yeah. course of the day, if, if we're working or, you know, you're, you're working from home, you're probably not going to talk for more than cumulatively like 30 minutes. That might be a lot. So talking for three hours and it's all, um, you know, off the tip of your tongue. And so I'm just, I'm just saying whatever comes to my mind at that point. That's why, you know, like I always advocate for sports broadcasters who are coming up. It's like, don't, you don't want to be a sports robot. And, and Ian Eagle has said the same thing. You know, you want to be well-versed in all different topics. So like when he had that buzzer beater call, it's real and it's spectacular. Like he said, he didn't know he was going to do that until he saw Jerry and the director took Jerry in the stands. So that's just something that comes into your head. And, and that's the way it is for me. So when you guys reached out to me and said, Hey, we heard your bizarro world reference on, on the wrestling broadcast. I didn't even remember having said it because you say so many things and go in so many directions over the course of three hours. That's just something that is taking up otherwise important space as to like, what's my anniversary date in there. But instead I've got Seinfeld references that just come out whenever they feel like it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Cause that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is when you make the reference on air, um, it sounds like you're doing it, like you said, just kind of uh, almost stream of conscious. But, you know, I always love when worlds collide to, to use a sci-fi reference. And, you know, you're doing an NCAA wrestling tournament, which, you know, wrestling fans, there's no casual wrestling fans. Right. I mean, anyone watching the NCAA, like you said, anyone watching the Division One wrestling championships is a wrestling fan and they know what's going on. And they're not just flicking the channels and found it and stopped on it. Right. So. I'm curious, did you get any, anyone else reach out to you? Like whether like other wrestling fans or even your, your, you know, I forgot who you're with. Is it Robles you're with maybe, but anyone like the analyst, did anyone else pick up on it? Even like your director, producer, is anyone else in that circle um, that you, when you're sitting around a production meeting that you throw in Seinfeld language out with and things like that? I'm always curious. Yeah. I, nobody who was on the commentary team picked up on it. Cause those guys are just so like locked into what's okay. going on. Matt, yeah. that's, that's the biggest event of the year for everybody in wrestling in college wrestling. Um, maybe our producer and our director for that show may have very well picked up on it. Um, and, and they'll hit me in my uh, headset and, and maybe just laugh, you know, to, to share that they got it with you, but no, you guys were the only ones. And that's the funny thing about that kind of stuff is that like for a joke like this or a pop culture reference from any show, if I'm saying it more so it's to entertain myself. And if it does happen to entertain the audience in the process, that I'm happy about that. Cause like the primary reason people are watching sports is you want to be entertained. So if I'm not having fun, you're probably not having fun. And so vice versa, if I am, I hope you are too. And so I just throw in things that I think people will find funny. And if they don't get it, you know, nobody's none the wiser. And if you do, you go, all right, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We, we thought, we thought it was great. And listen, we're from the, obviously the New York uh, Metro area and the Iron Eagle piece that was during a Brooklyn Nets game. So it certainly resonated. I'm curious what the demographic geographically of uh, wrestling is, but maybe that had something to do with it. But bottom line is keep pushing the sci-fi references because we love them. Yeah. yeah. Mike. All right. Um, so just, so back to your fandom. Um, do you have a top five favorite episodes? So I, I, I did some homework last night and <laughs> what I came away with were I probably watched collectively about 90 minutes of just moments from the show last night. And I wanted to share this first one with you because it was the one that I think has the most direct application to my life. 
So I've been at ESPN full-time since 2014, but when I got out of school, I went from, you know, seasonal baseball play-by-play job to seasonal basketball play-by-play job. And the basketball one was doing women's basketball at the University of Vermont on the radio. So I got 75 bucks a game for that, which was not going to be enough to pay all of my bills. Burlington, surprisingly to me anyway, was a pretty expensive place to live as a college town. Um, so I'm, I'm applying for all these jobs. I'm like, I, I want to work anywhere. Like, I just need a job during the day. I can do these basketball games on the weekend. I applied to fast food. I applied to Barnes & Noble. I applied to a restaurant. Didn't get hardly even an interview. So I get to this point where I'm on Craigslist looking for jobs. And I found one for uh, a call center. And so I applied for this thing and I get a call back from the woman in human resources and she goes, well, why do you want this job? And like, you know, the honest answer is really just like, I need money. We all need money. That's why we're working. And so I said to her, look, you know, I'm here because I'm pursuing my passion and this is what I really want to do. And I just need to make some money on the side. Like I had given up trying to play the game and say like, I have a passion for sales and incoming calls and angry customers. And so I just said the truth. I was like, I need money. And she goes, that's so wonderful. You're chasing your dream. We would love to have someone like you come work for us. And I went in and that ended up being my side job was working at a call center. So it was very reminiscent of when George is in the diner, everything's going wrong in his life. Every decision he's ever made has been bad. So the opposite must be the good one. And he says, I'm George, I'm unemployed. I live with my parents. And the woman is suddenly interested. And so I, I felt a connection to George in that moment. Yeah, it's great to hear, man. You you know, you're not the first person we've talked to, right? That's gotten a job, O'Hara, using the, using the, the Seinfeld. I believe you're the, at least the second or third that's mentioned a Seinfeld reference to get a job. And that's obviously one of the greatest uh, George lines of all time. Um, that's awesome, man. Um, you know what else I wanted to ask you? You you mentioned, you know, your family and things like that. I know, um, you know, you proposed to your wife on air. It's, it's been, it's, you know, it's relatively well known as far as that goes. You know, I saw, I saw the video and everything. Um, did you have to convince her to watch Seinfeld? Was she a Seinfeld fan? I'm always curious how that works with the, uh, you know, she want to watch Mad About You or is she putting on Seinfeld when, uh, <laughs> when you guys are unwinding? So she actually got us into One Tree Hill this summer. Okay. <laughs> she is, she's oh, my, <laughs> Chris, is that, is that disappoint you? A little bit, Mike. A little bit. <laughs> I, we had a lot of time. Is that is that like Dawson's Creek? Give me a little. Uh... Yeah, it was a. It was on the CW slash WB. It was like a teen drama. So there was nine seasons of that that we watched in a very short amount of time. Um, but no, you know what? Let's put O'Hara on the poly. Maybe he's watched one. Yeah, he's Mike, I'd rather him. talk. I'd rather talk women's volleyball than uh, One Tree Hill. So, but no, you know what? You know, they, they say there's no such thing as a perfect person. And I don't have very many bones to pick with my wife, but one is that she does not like Seinfeld. And so we've gotten to the point now where she knows pretty much what the references are from the show, but right. couldn't tell you necessarily about the dynamics between, um, you know, Jerry and, and, any, and, you know, people on the periphery of the show. Right. She's not Joe um, Mayo or, uh, you know. Yeah, or Kenny Banya or, or whomever you wanted to come up with. And so, uh, no, that, that's not something that we watch together, but I guess it's something that she would say she tolerates at this point because it's never not going to be. Uh, yeah. well, you're talking to two guys who are doing a podcast about Seinfeld. In, in yeah, I, I, don't so, think our, I, mean, yeah. I don't think our wives care about it either. Yeah, but, exactly. but, you know, it's kind of, it's our thing. But um, so you mentioned George. Like, is he the, 
is he the character you most um i don't want to say resemble but but yeah i mean is is that the most the, the one you, mo- you you think you're most closely associated with or um i think i'm trying to pick up you you seem like pretty like you know straight and narrow like a jerry like very like even keeled but uh you did mention george before i'm just curious what character you kind of resonate uh, most with this has been probably like one of my life's hardest questions to answer is, you know, on, on any show you think about if the show lost this character, if Saved by the Bell lost Screech, would it be able to go on? Of course. If it lost Death, it can't go on. But I don't feel like on this show that if you took away any one character, it would still be the same show. And that's why I like all of them equally, because I feel like whether it's in one day or across different days in a week, I feel like I could be experiencing life as any one of those people where if you're Jerry, you're kind of in the driver's seat. If you're George, you're wondering why the world is conspiring against you some days. If you're Elaine, sometimes you're just watching it all burn and laughing about it. And then, you know, if things are going off the rails, then you could be Kramer. Uh, So I've never been able to fully identify, but I guess if I would say the most, it would be somewhere on the spectrum between Jerry and George. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 the place i think that's where a lot of us fall in the pocket is, is you kind of relate to both especially their conversations are always so uh you know we can relate to their conversations so much um you, you you mentioned like you got into the show watching it around the dinner table with your mom um was there a moment when you were like this this like that you remember like that you remember being like oh wow this show is like this is something I want to keep watching or are you kind of like clicked with you where you kind of um, dove into a deeper or something like that, you know, like where you kind of your first almost memory of it, if you will. Um, I don't know. For mine, it's probably maybe the jacket or, or the bus boy episodes in season, I think two, when I was like, Oh, this is something here. Or when Elaine, um, you know, in the bus boy, when Elaine couldn't get the guy to the airport and she comes in and yelling and all that kind of stuff. I remember that one pretty vividly, but I don't know. I'm just curious, like, was there a moment where you're like, oh, this show is is different than everything else I've been watching? I think probably the most monumental episode that I can think of as like part of the cultural zeitgeist was the soup Nazi. Um, And just because that got so much play around the house and anything that anybody did, you know, like that was one of those nineties, like phrases along with like whatever the Budweiser frogs were saying was like, no soup for you, no soup for you. No matter what you were doing in your house, whether it was like, I wanted an extra piece of dessert. I wanted to go to my friend's house, you know, anything that involved the word no became that. And so that became like a much bigger thing. And then it was, you know, we, we didn't go into the city that often. Like if we went into the city, it was a special occasion. It was a sporting event. Um, or, you know, we were going to see the, the Christmas windows, uh, at Macy's, like something special like that. But then it was about like, oh, well, where do we go to get, um, food from the soup Nazi? And is it going to be like that in real life? And it just became this thing that was talked about all the time. And I feel like that was really the big jumping off point for me was knowing that this was something that was part of bigger society that wasn't just among, you know, my mom's friends group, but also then was trickling down to people my age too. So it's, it sounds like that that line um, certainly means a lot to you and whether it's just childhood memories, doing things with your family. Have you, have you used that? I'm just, for some reason, I'm thinking of Bill Raftery, like with the long arm of the law. Like, have you, what other Seinfeld references have you made other than the one we, we picked up on with the bizarre world is like, is it certain sports? It, it, it lends itself more to like, like the Iron Eagle call. Um, or has that been the only one? I'm just curious. 
I hesitate to say it's been the only one because like I said, like these are just things that are off the cuff for me. And so I probably right. just flip them into everyday conversation all the time. But I, that you raise a good question as to which sport might be the best to work in enough references. And I think basketball would be a good one, but like football would also be a more subtle way to do it where, you know, it's a quarterback on fourth and 15 and they, the opposing coach called timeout. And you can say that, you know, they take a tight shot of the quarterback zooming in and you can say Peyton Manning's just hoping for some serenity now as he tries to come up with a big play here on fourth and 15. I think you could kind of shoehorn it in there or like Mike Breen has bang as his call for a big basket. You could try and work that in too um, at, in, a, in a basketball play and you could do it probably five or six times a game if you really wanted to try and get away with it. So I think, I think basketball would be good and I'm glad that that's going to be just around the corner for us on the sporting calendar because if I'm going to get my references ready, I've got to have my list going by the time college basketball starts in November. <laughs> well, you got to check out, uh, we had a uh, best lines bracket, March Madness style uh, in March. So we had the, the great Al Dukes from WFAN, WFAN on that. So a lot of great lines you could, you could steal from there. Just curious, you're a big WFAN guy, big sci-fi guy. As Mike, Mike and the dog used to say, gun to your head. Who'd you rather get a beer with, Mike Francesa or Jerry Seinfeld? Wow, I'm not sure that either one of them would want to spend five or ten minutes getting a beer with somebody else. Jerry being very anti-hug, you know, Mike, would Julio be getting the beer with us as well? <laughs> yes. Uh, will Roe and the kids be along for the beer as well? I, there's a lot of questions <laughs> I have. So um, I think I would pick Mike because... I feel like when I watched the 30 for 30 on Mike and the Mad Dog, that there was not enough information in there. Like not, if you really grew up listening to the station, like not enough of the supporting characters. Um, so I, I think that's who I would choose. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I was, I was, you know, looking at your, your resume and you've covered like, you know, the gamut of sports, you know, from, you know, a lot of basketball and softball and, you know, volleyball, wrestling, uh, Frisbee. Um, you know, and you've also traveled a lot. So I'm guessing you, you know, in that line of work, you're spending time in hotels, things like that. Are you, are you just, were you, did you get more into the show? You know, I know we talked about when you started, but have you, you know, as you mentioned, when you were younger, you didn't get a lot of references. So I'm assuming you're still, you know, your fandom is still strong. You watch it in hotel rooms. Are you, you know, is it something... I guess I'm asking two questions. One is, is that like part of your daily life still Seinfeld? Are you, are you, you know, you put it on, on TBS at night or you watch it on streaming. Um, and then the second, as I was thinking about it is really like just around your career. Cause I, I just love hearing stories where you just kind of, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, making 75 bucks a game just to do basketball. Right. And then that got you probably to your next job and then your next job. And now here you are at the worldwide leader and everything. So um, curious at those positions, where was your, um, you know, what was your, not maybe not favorite, but what sport out of those was it like, you know, you had the most, you learned the most about your craft doing? Uh, I know actually three questions there, but uh, <laughs> just curious as I'm talking about it. So the first question, I surprisingly watch very little TV. So mm -hmm. when I'm on the road, like I could be in a hotel for two or three nights on a, on a trip to cover a game and I might not even turn the TV on. 
Um, it's just, that's a byproduct of, like I talked about earlier of growing up without cable TV, like there were shows that you turn the TV on for, which Seinfeld would have been one of them, or like early on Saturday morning cartoons or like Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune. But like, it wasn't like I just sat there and watched TV mindlessly because there was nothing to watch <laughs> most of the time. You're not flicking through channels if you don't have cable, you know, you're not just doing the clicker. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, in fact, until my wife and I uh, moved in together uh, or just before it, um, I didn't actually own a TV. So I have owned a TV for less than 10 years of my life at this point, which sounds strange, but like working in minor league baseball, you'd be on the road or at the park. And those are like 12 hour days. And then when I came home, I was like, I don't really watch TV anyway. I'm not going to pay for a cable box and the whole deal. So I just didn't get it. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that your other question was about, yeah, like, I'm just curious, sport? all the sports you did. I mean, you know, some of those, especially, you know, I, I heard an interview with, with you about wrestling, about, you know, when you kind of got the gig with ESPN, you didn't know anything about wrestling. I'm assuming you might not have known much about women's volleyball either. Like these sports where you have to kind of pay your dues, if you will, like how, how much of that is helps you, you know, as you move up, like, what do you, what do you like learning your craft as far as like, you know, calling a, an ultimate Frisbee match. I'm, I'm assuming like, how are you picking How fast are you picking up on that stuff? Like, I'm just curious, like the learning curve there and uh, you know, what, where you had the most um, fun and where you had the most, uh, I guess, uh, enjoyed the most for your, your career as far as sports go. Learning new sports is a really daunting experience and you have to humble yourself very quickly to realize that you know nothing relative to the people who are playing it or coaching it or like you talked about with wrestling, watching it because the wrestling fan base is not a casual fan base. It's people who know the sport right. really well. And if they're watching into their adult years, chances are they were wrestlers when they were younger or they have somebody who's younger in their family who's doing it now. So that's a sport where this was my fifth year covering it. Um, starting from zero knowledge where if there's not, if there's something technical that I don't know, or I'm not sure of, I don't try and make it sound like I do on the air, because if I don't, I'd be exposed pretty quickly that I didn't know that. So, um, you know, I, I let my technical knowledge build up over time, but I focus a lot more on the storytelling and who the people are. And so I have great analysts who have wrestled and some of them, like you mentioned, Anthony Robles, a national champion, they know it infinitely better than I'll ever know it myself. Um, so, so learning new sports is really hard, but it's fun because I like to learn and I always enjoy that academic challenge, that intellectual challenge of it and finding new ways to say things. So like I, I was watching, um, MLS over the weekend and John champion who grew up in England and called soccer over there for a long time before he came to do MLS has a much better vocabulary than I do. And so like, I'm listening to words that he's saying and phrases he's got like stubbornly scoreless, I thought was a really good one that he said. Um, cause I like alliteration, so that's fun. So I like to listen to what other people do and people who I think are really good, um, and, and try and take bits and pieces from what everybody does. Um, I, I think the hardest sport to learn was college football. Hmm. And that sounds weird because it's probably on TV more than any other college sport. Um, but if you grew up around where the three of us grew up, and you didn't have somebody in your family who was somewhat indoctrinated into college football. Sure. Yeah. We don't really have college football. If you were to say zero to 10, how much people care in, in that area about college football, where would you put it? 
Right. Yeah, I agree. We were talking about that before we came on air. Like, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Ohio's a big college football guy, so it's hard. He's a, he might be the wrong guy to ask. But in the area, you're right. Frances says it all the time. Speaking of Frances, you know, it's not, we're not a college football town for sure. Right. But Frances is a huge college football guy. Good like, point. That's a good point. And again, I think Notre Dame is such a big following. Well, I, actually, the question is why do you think it's good so point, different though, uh, NFL? Why it's what? So different from the NFL. Well, Regional, my my wow. point about learning it was not necessarily different in the way that it's played, but ju just like in the tribalism of the sport and yeah, the history very of the sport yeah. and the traditions. So like the closest teams to, you know, the tri-state area, you have Rutgers and like Syracuse and then Buffalo, as far as like division one power five teams go or group of five teams. So like when I grew up, you know, you have all those pro sports teams around there. Like I was a massive, massive Mets fan, 365 days a year. That's always been my number one team. But then if you're reading the paper, like we did growing up, like I had the, uh, the reporter dispatch was the newspaper and I was always checking out the box scores and it was always pro sports. And like, I probably didn't make it far enough to even see if they had college sports in the box scores. So that was the hard part for me was just learning about, okay, what's the history of the sec? Who's really good here. Who's in the mountain West conference. I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't stayed up late enough to watch mountain West football before. So it was all of those things where um, at White Plains, I, I played basketball. I was on the team. I didn't play, but that's the sport that I feel like X's and O's wise has always been the most familiar to me. Yeah. I'm curious. Like what's the ultimate goal? Like I, I know you, you grew up listening to the fan, but obviously you went to new house. Um, and did you get the lead? Were you the lead play-by-play -play guy for football and basketball? Like, is that how it works there? I mean, that's that's an incredible feat if that's the case. Or is that kind of a rotational thing? So you work your way into it. It's a hierarchy from your freshman year to your senior year. And I guess it kind of depends on how many people are in your graduating class. If there's just two people, then you're going to do a lot of games. But I think we probably had six or seven. Um, the irony is of where I've ended up now is that I work probably 99% in TV. But when I graduated from college, my experience was like 99% in radio. And, you know, the, the premier sports there are men's basketball and football. And I worked with Jason Benetti, who's now the White Sox TV announcer and works for ESPN as well, um, with him in 2010 with the Nationals AAA team that's up there. It's now the Mets team. Um, and we worked together. So I left school for like a couple of weeks at the end of the first uh part of the season at the end of that semester. And then I missed a couple of weeks at the beginning of what was my last semester in college. So I only ever did um, on the air, two men's basketball games and two Syracuse football games. And that was the extent of my uh, men's college sports announcing before I graduated. Well, some of my, uh, some of the favorite scenes from Seinfeld actually are kind of play by play. I mean, and Larry David brings in Bob Shepard. Like he makes it so, you know, so New York. And, um, you know, when George did the cotton pants, you know, Matt Lee split his pants. Like even the, even the, the, the play by play stuff, um, from the show, I don't know. It probably resonates with you more than me, but, um, I just think it's an ode to, to just the beauty of the show and just the intricacies of like being so detailed, even with like play by play announcers that, they didn't really have to be, but um, I'm curious if you ever picked up on those, like the play-by-play -play stuff from Seinfeld. Well, I was watching last night as they broke down the loogie, and I had never paid attention to it in that sense before, but I was really like locked in for those three minutes as they, you know, 
you give a play-by-play of the Zapruder film, basically, of, of the Keith Hernandez Lugie. And that's one of the, you know, there's kind of like a running joke about play-by-play guys that even if the world was ending, they'd be like, oh, 3-2, and uh, the Acropolis has fallen down. Like, you just are, have your, the ability to talk through anything. And right. so as Jerry goes through that and breaks that down, I think that was like expert real life play by play, um, which was very entertaining to me because you have to, you know, have a certain uh, job to think about it that way. And that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of on the same, the same line, but um, you know, there are so many sports moments in Seinfeld and, and it sounds like, you know, you're being a big Met oh. fan, obviously Jerry, George works for the Yankees, but there's a lot of Mets. I mean, the subway scene where when when Jerry and the, and the naked guy are talking Mets baseball is one of my favorite, you know, sports scenes of all time. When they're just like, yeah, I like the chances after they 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 rattle off what's wrong with the team. It's typical New York sports talk. Um, you know, as, aside from from some of those, I mean, obviously Keith Hernandez, but um, and any any sports moments. I know we just went through play by play stuff, but specific sports moments. You know, marathon. You got the the U S open tennis, you got, you know, tons of, you know, New Jersey devils hockey. Um, you know, it's so New York based and so New York sports based, that, you know, as a guy from, you know, Westchester, is there anything that stuck out to you then as well, as far as sports moments goes, we always try and break down the top, the top couple. There wasn't for me. I think what really resonated was just the fact that there was a pop culture icon who was a Mets fan, because <laughs> if you grew up as a Mets fan, no matter where you are, even if you're in the New York area, you're the underdog team. And especially when I was coming of age in the 90s and into the 2000s, the Yankees were just like, you know, the unbeatable team. And so, um, yeah, I I think it was, it was nice to see because that was one of the things that my mom and I always did. Like she would take me out of school on opening day and I would be sick that day and we would go to see a Mets game. So it was like, you know, there, there were the lovable losers and Armando Benitez would drive you crazy. And still the hearing that name makes me shudder a little bit. Um, but I think to see that there was like the representation of that, because there's nobody else who I can think of who was like quite as prominent a Mets fan as Jerry. So it was like, it made me feel good about what I was doing, even though they were usually losing. Right. Right. Can you give us your, you remember your, your favorite call in, in any of the games you've done? Like, you know, your, your favorite moment that you've called as a play-by-play guy? Nothing that I have said, um, but the moment, moment, maybe, yeah, moment, maybe the moment for me was the 2018, uh, wrestling championships, believe it or not. Yeah, Uh, no, I believe it. I mean, I can't, I want to, I can go deeper on the wrestling stuff, but I don't want to go too (laughs) deep on it, but call, I mean, the NCAA wrestling people that don't know the division one NCAA wrestling championships is a, a huge event. Whether it's huge nationally or not is a different story, but it is a huge event. Like the people that are watching that are, it's insane how big that event is. I can't imagine calling it live. I mean, that was at St. Louis, maybe. I don't know where that was. Or was St. It? Louis was yes. 2017. This okay. was here in Cleveland in 2018. Oh, in Cleveland. Okay. Okay. Go. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't so want to interrupt too my, much. But, my yeah. second year, and so it's at the the uh, Cavaliers now the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Um, and you know, that's like 18,000 people. Yeah. So Penn state at that point was winning, I don't know, their sixth in a row, maybe something like that. Um, and so there's 10 matches throughout the course of the night and they won the eighth one that sealed their team championship. And it's just the loudest that I've ever heard any building anywhere. I took my headset off for probably like 10 or 15 seconds because there's nothing that I can say in that moment that's going to add to the situation right. so i just soaked that in because it's something that like you can't get anywhere else and now we certainly know that uh if we ever didn't think about it that way before we took it for granted 
when we're still going through arenas not being 100% full. Right, right. And that's great advice for television broadcasters. Let the picture do the talking. Some of these guys don't shut up. Um, like Michael K. We're trying to get him on the show, but um, <laughs> I'm just curious. He's could you on Twitter? Has he? No, not yeah. We we've been po- we've been poking at him a lot though. Mike, could you? But you could you picture someone calling up Francesca to talk about wrestling? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it's it's a shame what they're doing to that sport, man. These big programs shutting down and stuff. It's it's really sad. But, I think uh, if, a, if a wrestling call got through, we would have to hear. Chris, a, a drop from Chris Russo to say, nicely produced. <laughs> Which I believe was after the uh, I want to slap your butt cheeks call. Oh, yeah, that was classic. Sour oh, shoot. Yeah. That was classic. Uh, Mike, this has been great, man. We really appreciate it. Do you got anything uh, we didn't cover as far as Seinfeld goes that you wanted to? That, I don't know. I know you said you had done some homework. You watched some clips. Was there anything we didn't uh, we didn't get to that you had uh, on top of your mind as far as uh, you know, your Seinfeld fandom goes. I think if there's anybody that I didn't give enough love to that, it would be Jerry Stiller. Um, because my, my mother and I have a very good relationship, but the longer we spend with each other, like the longer we get closer to a week of time together, the more insane that I go. And she knows that too. Like we just, we butt heads a little bit too much. And so I very much empathize with the, uh, George and his relationship with his parents because sometimes they can just absolutely drive you crazy. And like, I had two older sisters, me and my mom all in the same house and like just not enough room. We're all on top of each other. You all just get absolutely crazy with each other. So I love what, what Jerry Stiller did. And then um, I was watching the scene with his parents uh, and Susan's parents and they're sitting there having dinner. Love it. Love it. Going hen, rooster, chicken. What, something's wrong where who goes with who and that's kind of like the internal monologue that I fight with myself sometimes I think as I've gotten older I haven't necessarily gotten more mature I've just learned when to shut up and keep a conversation like that in my head rather than out of the dinner table and so it's it, it goes back to the thing before of how do we pick a best character on the show when on any given day I can identify so closely with any of the characters outside of the core four sometimes too. Yeah, that's the, uh, again, that's the beauty of the show and yeah. letting uh, some of those secondary characters literally shine a brighter light than, than the, the core four, as you will. I have a, I have a um, question for you guys too. Sure. Now, this is a debate that I've had with my wife about the show is because, you know, I didn't grow up in the city, but there are certainly identifiable elements that make the show relatable she grew up in Tennessee. She grew up in Michigan. So like never really came to the East Coast at all, certainly mm-hmm. not to the New York, New Jersey area. And her claim has been that the show is more relatable if you grew up in the area. And since you guys are the preeminent scholars on this topic, I'm curious if you've come across that claim before. Well, let me just, I'll nip it in the bud real quick. It was a national TV show that did 30 million viewers nationally every thursday night so to say it resonated just in new york yes the biggest market i uh, no i I can't i I think my take on it is those 30 the the beginning seasons didn't have those numbers that the later seasons had 
So I think the beginning seasons, I think people first looked at it and it was to New York. And I think it gradually caught on with the rest of the country. Maybe they caught up or something like that. I think we see when we've talked to fans, we've talked to most of the people from New York now thinking about New York, New Jersey. So maybe that's why, but uh, just in my travels, I've noticed uh, a lot of people don't, didn't get it that weren't in New York, but I would say to Harris point, that doesn't mean it's not resonating nationally. Right. So it's, I guess the answer is it's, it's a, I mean, yeah. if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Right. That's the same. And everyone, most things take place New York centric. And then they, you know, they're, they're going to go out to everyone after that. Yeah. Slice of life. What I'd like to hear is your wife's younger, obviously. So she didn't grow up with it. I guess she's making that point because her parents had that same, uh, um, and then, so there might be something there because we can't, yeah, because we're yeah. from the area. But that's the thing. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But funny, funny's funny, you know. Funny's funny. Like, well, she is. She has made the claim, which I find to be uh, absurd, that black and white cookies are not a thing outside of the New York area. Really? I don't know about that. I mean, I can see babka. I mean, we we're from New York and we barely knew what babka was. We're watching when we're 15 years old, though. I mean, I don't know everything about babka, but uh, you know, black and white cookie, maybe. I mean, the only thing really New York about it is the sports references. I think are they're very those are very New York. The Bob Shepard when he I say this all the time on the podcast when he said Jay, well, how can you change Jay Buner? My head exploded as a 12 year old or however old I was. I was like, they're talking about Jay Buner on a TV show right now. Like this is insane. Like the Jay Buner trade, right? So. That stuff is New York. appeal with Seattle, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that stuff. That stuff is New York. I get it. The sports references, but I mean, you know, I was in the pool. I was in the pool. Shrinkage. That you, you don't have to be from New York to make things funny. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Like that's funny. Funny's funny. I, uh, <laughs> do the opposite. That's in, funny, in the, no matter what, right? Right. In the same way that it was a it was a, a scratch and not a pick. That's right, exactly. Universal. That's universally funny. There's no way you're not going to laugh. And what's really even funny. more funny about that is people in New York don't really drive. So, like, yes. all driving scenes. All are those driving scenes. Relatable to the rest of Yeah. In fact, that's the, that's the biggest complaint everyone makes about is why they was driving, why they was driving. Because they had to make it relatable to everyone else. We put them in a car. It's an easier way to do things. But I get driving. it. You know, the, the tone of the show is from Larry uh, and Jerry, and they are New York. Yeah, so. New York as it gets, right? Um, well, it's, it's always it's been a debate yeah, for a while. You, right? you take some of the accents too, and that can be very, um, you know, provincial, I guess, in that sense. Right. I mean, George was doing Woody Allen in the first two seasons anyway, so I mean, he's basically doing that voice. Uh, you know, Jason Alexander was was doing a Woody Allen voice almost, um, which is obviously New York. But um, yeah, I mean, funny's funny. I mean, by the time the the ninth season, you know, eight seasons, eight, you know, season seven, eight, and nine, you're it was getting so absurd that it wasn't really anything at that point, New York wise. It was really just like how crazy, how funny can we be? Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I, we're finding more and more, it's more a generational thing than it is a geographical thing. I, I don't know. That's what I'm finding is especially like with social media and everything, when we're tweeting things out about Seinfeld that we're finding because most of Twitter I'm assuming is younger generational people and they're, they're they're skewing uh, more towards things that that we didn't find as more appealing about the show. It was, it was a lesser for us, but it seems to be skewing higher because I think when you're not watching the show sequentially live, 
um, like I mentioned earlier, you're kind of picking up on things as they're going and you, you didn't really see the progression. Um, and, uh, you know, I would sit down and watch it from, from beginning to end if you, if you haven't done that yet. Like that, in that's order. A summer, that's a good summer project for me that I need. To do. <laughs> I think that, you know, like the, the ones that play in syndication are probably going to be a much more smaller group than you would have over the course of an entire show. And I right. bet you a lot of things in there that like I go back and I would say, I totally missed this the first time or like, okay, this makes a lot more sense to me. And what's interesting about the point you just made too, about, you know, when you watched it or how you watched it, like if you go back to the nineties, like the, I'm sure the numbers on the ratings were just like outlandish or like, you know, like when um, Oprah interviewed Michael Jackson in the early nineties and like that had like a, like a Super Bowl rating of like, you could probably never be that famous again to so many people across the country because there were fewer channels then and like now I'm getting all my entertainment for the most part if I'm young yeah. off my phone. Right. Right. And so yeah. there's not going to be that central um, you know, gathering point of pop culture. Yeah, to O'Hara's point, I mean 20 million, 30 million people were watching this show on, Mike, at the I same forgot. time. I have this shirt. <laughs> I love that. And you know what? One of my great regrets in life is that I did not get to attend a Francesa come. Ah. Uh. I caught him at the stadium a couple of times when he used to do his live show from the uh, from the steakhouse there, whatever that was. Uh, you were there too, right? Oh, one of those times. Yeah, I went to the first Francesca Khan. He he didn't show up, but it was uh, it was a good time. Well, you're talking oh. to Benny from Nyack, by the way, Mike. I don't know how well you know uh, Francesca callers, but O'Hara there is Benny from Nyack. He had a few. Uh, a few I'm calls. still mourning Doris from Rigo Park, <laughs> and and wondering where Jerome from Manhattan is because. That was that was another one of the, the cool things of like when I was young and I would go to bed and have the radio on, which I still do that to this day. Like and yeah. they would play the Jerome Zone interruption when he would be on the phone with Steve Summers. And like that just was like took me to a mystical place and like got me enamored with with what broadcasting is like. Um, uh, I'll never forget him him yelling, I want Damon when Damon was like on the royal <laughs> a man who then, lives in a padded room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we talked this. I told you we talked to Summers, man. It was a highlight. It was definitely a, a highlight of ours. Well, I, I love your Francesca shirt because here's another small world connection: is that who a guy who graduated a year ahead of me at Syracuse was J. John Jastrzemski. So yeah. I wondered if yeah, yeah, yeah. He and I have been friends for probably the better part of a decade at this point. And like when you talk about you know George's accent on the show, JJ, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who he is. Like. He went from college, then won the uh, contest they hold at Bar A over the summer every year to get right. a big show on the fan, and then just started working at the fan, and now has a podcast on the biggest podcast network in America, all by just being John Jastrzemski from Staten Island, the crazy Yankees fan. What your buddies with him, so I don't know. But what do you think about that move, man? He, I mean, I guess you got to make that move. It's the biggest podcast uh, platform in the world, but. I just think having that New York calls, that's that was his thing. I mean, it just seems so, I guess you got to make it, it's more of a career move at that point. He just wanted to move on and just do, do something different. But I just, I guess, cause I'm, I miss listening live. That's the thing. That's what sports talk is. But um, obviously I'm doing a podcast right now, so I don't, I don't mind podcasts either, but he's doing a podcast too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I think there's two ways you could look at it is one, which is like, you know, FAN is the gold standard for sports talk in America. And so to leave that, seems like a strange move but then if you look at it from the other side of like the numbers that they do on podcasts right. for the ringer and you're in the biggest media market in the country so theoretically the most fans whether it's there or spread out across the country 
right when I got out of school, I didn't have a job lined up. And so I worked at ABC News Radio on the west side of the city for like two months. And so then I got this job offer to go uh, do minor league baseball, uh, ironically here in Ohio. My mom said, what, you're going to give up a job at ABC to go work in Dayton, Ohio? And I was like, mom, I'm like below the totem pole at ABC. It's not really a big deal. And so like she didn't see it that way. So I think like the way JJ is probably looking at it is, you know, it's uh, an industry that's on the rise as much as terrestrial radio has reached. It's not an industry on the rise. Right. No, it's not at all. It's about where you are in the depth chart, too. So if he doesn't see an opening for himself and like, you know, when Greg Carton comes back to the station as as the guy next up on the ladder, you'd like to think, okay, there's a chance for me to move up. If you don't see that there, then I understand why he makes the move. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a good point. That's why I was just curious. That's a good point. Money talks. (laughs) They probably threw him a boatload. It's my guess, right? I hope for his sake. Yeah, (laughs) I would I would hope that would be the case for anybody. Right, right. Well, um, we, we, we hope that for you as well, Mike. Yeah, I mean, man. I mean, you've done a great job thus far. I know your I'm, career. I'm, yeah, started, it, it's, it's great, man. I mean, doing that wrestling, I just, I, I commend you for it, man. Because stepping into a role like that, not knowing anything about the sport, and, uh, you know, we've been doing it for four or five years now. Um, it's, it's really, um, it's really commendable to just, you know, pick up, it's, like I said, it's a huge event. So that's where I, that's where I first saw you. But now, now, now we're going to definitely keep an eye on you as you uh, move through the ranks of ESPN and, uh, you know, whatever else your career brings you, man. We really uh, appreciate you joining us. Well, now knowing that you guys are going to be watching that, I, I feel a great <laughs> responsibility to increase the load of Seinfeld references within my shows. And whether people get it or not, just put it in there to keep it alive. We'll be listening, man. <laughs> we will be listening. Thank awesome. you so much, Mike. Well, it's uh, it has been an honor, and uh, I look forward to being your late tech sales. <laughs> well Thanks, said, Mike. Have a good night, man. Thank you so Thanks, much. Guys, you we appreciate it.